Hi, everyone. Welcome back to For the Girls. We have so much to discuss after Austria. We had the most incredible day with McLaren on Saturday. We're going to do a quicker than usual sprint and race recap and then dive into our experiences being there in person. We're also going to throw in a quick British GP preview because the summer swing is in full force. So we'll jump right into it. I'm Sarah. I'm Chessa. And I'm Tiggy. Okay, so into a quick sprint and race recap. So the sprint shootout and sprint results, which happened on Saturday, the sprint shootout order that we had for the sprint quali was Max, Checo, Lando, Nico, Hulkenberg, super exciting, Carlos, Charles, Alonso, and Stroll, but Charles unfortunately took a three-place grid penalty, so started P9. This was really, this was our first day at the track, and it was super fun for us to see. We were sitting at turn 10 in the turn 10 grandstand, so we could see turn 9, turn 10, the long straight leading into turn 1, and then turn 1, so we had a really good view, and on Saturday, it was pretty rainy. Um, So super slippery on turn nine. We saw Joe spin out kind of on the first couple laps. And then we saw lots of cars taking the turn 10 apex differently, which was kind of cool to see different driving styles at that turn. So very fun. Um, And for the sprint finish, we had max by something like 20 seconds in 24 laps. So (laughs) that boded well for the weekend for him. Then Checo, Carlos, Stroll, Alonso, Hulkenberg, Ocon, Russell, Lando, and Hamilton. And getting into our quick little Sunday recap for the race. We'll give you the official top 10 after the penalties, which we have to talk about. But we had Max, Charles, Checo, Lando, Alonso, Carlos, George, Lewis, Stroll, and Gasly. And so for the starting order of this race, we had Max, Charles, Carlos, Lando, and Lewis in top five. We had Lance ahead of Alonso. Um, He was in P6, which was very interesting. And overall, the race was just really great. It was a short lap. We got to see the cars going around so many times, 71 laps exactly, actually. And I think overall, like Tiggy mentioned, the main talking point of the race was track limits, which we got to see all over the place on that turn 10. There was over 1,200 track limits incidents reported to the stewards and over 100 lap times deleted. We got to see all of it. And I think we called this, the three of us were like kind of looking at each other after the first five laps. We saw Lewis exceed it basically every time at that point. And then we're like, this is just going to keep happening. I was so confused because I obviously was watching Lewis very closely. (laughs) I was like watching him go around turn 10. I was like, he has all four wheels off every single lap for like the first five laps. I'm like, what is going on? And then that just was the start (laughs) of a lot of chaos. Yeah, it was super cool where we were sitting because like Tiggy was saying, we could see turn nine, which was super slippery on Saturday. It was interesting during the sprint too because even when we only kind of felt a light Missed like it was barely raining anymore. You could still see the cars really struggling for grip from nine going into 10. And then 10 is a right hander, so they kind of enter wide on kind of the left portion of the track from the run up to turn 10. And then they have to cut over right to the inside to try to hit the curb at turn 10. And they drift back left on the exit. And that's where literally everyone was going over. And yeah, it was funny watching. So we were kind of looking, thinking, that looks like all four wheels over for basically everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And it took a while for the track limit penalties to start flowing in, but then yeah, once they did, boy, did they. And at the end of the race, we were, you know, there were so many, we could barely keep track of all the different time penalties that everyone was going to get. And of course, someone had to get in and do something. So Aston Martin ended up protesting the race results, which the FIA upheld, which I feel like is pretty rare for them to uh, uphold any kind of protest. So that was all bananas. We were in the drive on the way home trying to get Wi-Fi, leaving the Austrian countryside. Um, so they went back in the FIA, reviewed all the infringements they missed out, um, updated the finishing order. So the way they handed out the penalties, there was three infringements that should have been a black and white flag, i.e. a warning, four infringements that earned a five-second time penalty, five infringements that earned a 10-second penalty. And then after someone got a 10-second penalty, they kind of like reset the count due to the quote excessive number of infringements so you go back to counting another five seconds from from there for four more infringements so in the end the way that this all added up Akon came out breaking the record for the most penalties in a single race with four breaking his own previous record of three which was really tough to see so he got a 30 second time penalty and then in the end Lewis Carlos Gasly Alvon 
Logan, Nick, and Yuki also all got penalties, and this most notably affected Carlos and Lewis, who both dropped positions, and then it helped bump Lando up from P5 to P4 in the end. Some other fun things from being at this turn and at the track. So the stuff that happened before the race was super cool with the kind of Red Bull stunt and trick planes. That was stressful. Sarah was like freaking out. It was so funny. I get... I get flight anxiety even on big commercial planes. And so seeing these tiny little planes do the crazy stunts, they basically go up vertical and then stall and then do a vertical dive back to the ground. I could barely watch, but it was very cool. We were with our friend who's a pilot and he was just watching all of this like enthralled, kind of telling us what was going on. It was all very high stakes and very dangerous from these Red Bull (laughs) aviation athletes. Yeah, the helicopter doing a full-on stall midair, just dropping really it's crazy to see. But the craziest part, which I think everyone has probably now seen Oscar Piastri's reaction to this, but the jetpack men who were kind of doing a lap around the track, hovering, what's the levitating, I guess? They were levitating around the track. <laughs> and he crashed right in front of us. We saw it all happen. It was crazy. Everyone in the stands was like, oh my God. And we're so glad he was okay. But he did like a full four or five rolls and really went down hard. And he didn't move for like maybe 20 seconds. And so our grandstand was just silent. And then thankfully, as I'm sure you've all seen in the footage now, he kind of shrugged the pack off, hopped up. He was limping a bit, was okay. There were huge tears from everyone, but that was really scary. Truly terrifying. Some other things that were cool, we all had red or white flags at our seats. So as you probably saw from the coverage, we were all waving flags on the stands and it made out the Austrian flag, which was really cool. Overall, we have so much to talk about with the experience at this track, but those are a couple fun highlights from just being in the grandstands. So for our MVPs, I think it's hard for me not to give it to Lando. I think he just had an amazing weekend all around in both qualities. Of course, the race, just absolutely amazing wheel-to-wheel racing. We'll talk about the upgrade that his car got um, for this race and just really paid off. And he was definitely showing his skill. So really cool for us uh, to see that, especially after we'll we'll talk about our experience in the garage and seeing him on, on Saturday and all of that, but so awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. Lando would be, well, for me, my MVP, Lando did great, but my MVP would be signs at the beginning of the race. He was looking so good, so strong, so much pace in the car, so much pace against Charles, his teammate. And I think as, as happens in the world of Ferrari, things might not always (laughs) be as they seem. And then at the end, you know, he kind of missed out a bit, but I think signs and the Ferrari pace close second on my MVP. Yeah, that double stack pit stop with the virtual safety car. We were like, what is going on? Carlos was just sitting there while they had a four and a half second stop for Charles. Like, I don't know why they called him in. So that was frustrating. And he he made lemonade out of lemons for some of that stuff. And Charles was talking about how Ferrari is feeling really good about their pace. So I think that's exciting. For me, I think I have to go with Aston Martin for the track limits challenge because I don't ordinarily love when teams challenge certain results or certain penalties after the race, but I think it was such a crazy situation that I think it was great that someone brought it up because revealing the true extent for how many track limits issues there were, I think just sheds a light on either, number one, the track's got to change a bit, or number two, the penalty system has to change because if there is over half of the grid getting track limit penalties in one race, I think it's just not great. So I definitely think they should probably widen the turn 10 exit or maybe just make turn 10 the white lines wider or say it's a turn that they're not really enforcing. I don't know, but I think something has to change because over half the grid having penalties is just it's insane. And it's confusing for the drivers to have to constantly keep up with that one to be like, oh, the car in front of me I saw him go off like, is he getting a penalty? And then having to do all the math on the times and the strategy is just a lot. That was a good one. All the drivers. Totally. They're all policing while they're driving. They are all turned into stewards for this turn, which is crazy. It's just so cool that we were sitting there. Okay, let's do LVPs for me. It's not really like a consequential LVP that much, but Max is just rogue pit stop at the end to get to get <laughs> soft tires when so we didn't we couldn't hear the radio where we were sitting but our trustworthy friend who was with us he had an amazing like um radio headset and he was like 
being a really great commentator for us the whole race. So Max was like, I want to come in for softs. They're like, no, don't. And then he did. And we got to see when he made that decision because it was like we were looking right at the entrance to the pit lane. And so that was an LVP was a little bit confusing and probably a little unnecessary to say the least. Max is just so bored. He's like just so many seconds ahead of everybody all the time. He's like, how can I make this a game? Let's pit at the very like second to last lap for softs and barely make it out ahead. I mean, he still ended up winning by multiple seconds, but (laughs) just feels like unnecessary risk to keep himself entertained. (laughs) Yeah. They're race car drivers. They live for the adrenaline. (laughs) So he's probably there chilling 15 seconds ahead. Like, oh my gosh, we need to make something happen here. For me, I'm going with Ferrari, a a tried and true. Um, It was just tough to see. I loved seeing Carlos being so competitive so fast. For the first stint of the race, it was pretty clear for us. We could see Max pulling ahead, kind of building that gap on Charles lap after lap. But turn nine, turn 10, you could see just how closely Carlos was following Charles. It was amazing. And it was the amount of following closely that you know that they have more pace. And I know he asked to pass, asked for team orders. And I had assumed, we were kind of talking about it in the stands, I had assumed they were going to pit one car to kind of avoid having to make that decision, which is, I think, common and would be a fair call. But the double stack as the solution there, because the, number one, that doesn't solve the problem of both drivers being back to back, introduces unnecessary risk, which we saw what happened there. So I just, I didn't like it and I was sad for it to go wrong when it seemed like everything was coming together for Carlos, who was driving amazingly. Yeah, I totally agree. Hearing him on the radio earlier in the race being like, let me pass. I have better pace. I'm cooking my tires, basically, just like sitting here. It was just kind of a bummer. For me, I think, Sarah, you already hit on a lot of this, but just the track limits and the inconsistencies with which they were kind of doling out penalties and whatnot was kind of frustrating to watch and just presents unnecessary chaos both during the race and then after the race, trying to figure out, like, what's the finishing order? We'll get to um, a couple people we talked to kind of while at the track, but one of them is in media and it just sounds like they were having a crazy time after the race trying to like figure out who was winning and all of that it's just oh there's never a shortage of drama introduced by the FIA (laughs) so how did our hot takes hold up for me I think I said stroll top five so not good but at least it was in the points (laughs) mine also and I guess I'll say – I guess I'll have to say a little bit of an honorary – he was racing Alonzo really well on Saturday. So I guess it was at least a little bit of a fiery kind of showing from him, I which is what I was going to call for. him like racing really well against Alonzo. But um, <laughs> I mean, yes, given the fact that the team didn't really do any sort of team orders that it seemed on the sprint. So, yeah, they had some good back and forth, but I don't know how much he was able to really defend. <laughs> yeah. My hot takes, I'm really on a bad streak here. I said Red Bull, like someone other than Red Bull would win, which obviously did not pan out (laughs) and had no chance of panning out. Just don't bend against Red Bull, I guess, is the lesson. Unfortunately, mine is a similar vibe. I would call my hot takes pretty pathetic. Um, I had Alonso (laughs) winning, Max and a random P2, and then Russell in P3. So pretty far off of that one. (laughs) So... (laughs) Getting into our overall Austria experience, so first off, if any of this audio is not sounding amazing, it is because I'm sitting in the hallway and just in the bathroom and taking in the room the floor of our hotel of the shower, room. wrapped in a towel to maybe help with some acoustics, and it's a little cold in here too. <laughs> I think she's also in the dark in there with her flashlight. <laughs> yes. I'm also, it's automatic lights in the hallway, so they keep flickering on and off like every 10 (laughs) seconds. (laughs) I'm living a luxe life in here, I guess. I got the lucky seat in our room. (laughs) So, so much to talk about. Um, I think we were having a lot of fun conversations and debates at dinner after the first night, just about how the first day went, how we felt it compared to some of the races that we've been to in the States. So we've all been to Austin. Chessa and I have been to Mexico. Uh, city and Sarah has been to Miami and we were kind of talking about where like the spectrum of races and where different races fall on sort of the very serious racing focus like pretty local culture to like the full-on spectacle more like Miami and we feel 
I think the consensus is that Austria is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from the Miami race. It's just so local. There's tons of amazing culture from the food to the music to the background and the settings, but people are really there for the racing because it's far. It's really far to get to. So I feel like it's not a race that you go to unless you're a big, big fan. And I think we definitely felt that energy. Whereas I wasn't in Miami, Sarah, you can kind of speak more to this, but it feels a little bit more like just being there for the spectacle is a big part of the audience. Definitely. I think overall, um, it seemed like the vast majority of the crowd there was, of course, men, which we'll get into, but mostly Europeans. We didn't really hear any Americans in our grandstand or in our area at all. Not really any British people either. It felt like it was mostly people from Austria, from the Netherlands, which is still probably like an eight-hour drive. So not that local, but it felt like really serious race fans. People were – you could hear the kind of the picking up snippets of conversations in German where people were just saying, Verstappen, Alonso. Like people were really into the racing, talking about it, very focused in the grandstands. So, so excited about Max and Red Bull, which we'll also get more into. Um, But I definitely agree. I think – Miami was amazing. I think there's a ton of serious race fans there too, but it seems like the Austria GP is less a race that you just kind of happen upon because it's a big event in your city. And it's more like you are a dedicated F1 fan who's making a trek to this, especially since so many people camp out for it, which are entry on the first day, our parking lot, we kind of took a little trolley up through all these campsites. There's thousands of people camping. So it really is kind of a commitment to go to this and just logistically if you're coming from out of town you have to fly into vienna or graz and then drive so it definitely had kind of that serious it was energy. so interesting like when we were in mexico tiggy i think i commented this over to you multiple times like people in mexico are really into f1 like i think that race was seemed a bit more serious than like maybe austin was the year before but mexico was like jovial like the attitude was great we're hanging out in foro del sol before quali like everyone's partying outfits are awesome like it was a really good mix of everything whereas this race it was kind of like get there get some like sustenance get a schnitzel right Tiggy? totally Um, i love schnitzel i'm a huge (laughs) schnitzel fan and then it was like (laughs) get your drink and go to your seat and like like i think that was it was unless you're in the tent with the austrian country music but it definitely (laughs) felt like not transactional but like let's get to the point which was cool like every race is different i think one thing that we ended up talking about a lot after the first day was when you're going to an F1 race and now that we've been to a few, we're starting to like create this spectrum in our mind, but it's not just like the track and the racing being different. It's the fact that every race is put on by the local track or whatever organization owns that track. So there isn't necessarily like a a cut and dry standardized F1 viewer race experience. So you don't really know what you're going to get until you get there. And like, yeah, no, for Austin, like we're sitting in a bus for hours waiting to get to the track. For Mexico, we just hop on the subway and we get there in a second. For Austria, you're like taking this cute little trolley through the campsites. It's been a very different experience throughout all of them. Um, but I think we can all agree that it's probably the most beautiful race. Oh like, my God. The hills, the mountains, it was stunning. And even on like the rainy drive in, the clouds over the mountain, it was just beautiful. It's a pretty impossible backdrop to beat just seeing i mean you you guys all were probably watching on tv and seeing all the scenery but even being there on the ground at that level it's just the mountains are towering over you the trees it really is like sound of music vibes um i think styria is called the green capital of austria and it really lives up to that name um but one thing we want to talk about because what we were particularly interested in was what the fan experience as women would be like just given all the reports of harassment last year and everything that people have been talking about related to female fan experience at the Austrian Grand Prix. And so I definitely want to talk about that. We also interviewed some really cool female fans at the race, which we'll splice in to this episode so you guys can hear it. But like Sarah was saying, it definitely felt like one or two women to every 99 or 98 men. But overall, our experience at least, it did feel good vibes, very respectful. Um, and didn't experience anything like what was reported last year, which is great. And we were trying to figure out like why that might have been. Did people like get their act together? Did the, you know, people running the Grand Prix do anything, you know, organizationally to improve that? But I don't know, it felt it felt okay to us in the grandstands at the track in general. 
Yeah. And also we, of course, can kind of only speak to our own experience because we were in one particular grandstand and we did have some friends there at the race where they were kind of hanging out in the um, entry kind of beer hall area and they saw some grabbing and some unacceptable behavior. So definitely think there's still an issue, but overall, we personally had a nice experience. Also, again, in terms of this kind of comparison of experience between races, I was I was wondering if our grandstand was going to be super rowdy because you have all seen on TV all the flares, all the Orange Army being super, super energetic. But interestingly, our grandstand was super, super low-key. People were sitting, like we were saying, people were sitting just focused the entire time. People stood up and cheered for Max on kind of the outlap, on the in-lap, and a couple times when he kind of re-overtook Charles for the lead, but nothing major in comparison. My grandstand in Miami was more people standing the entire time, kind of hard to see, people cheering super loudly, being a little rowdy. So that was kind of an interesting point of comparison for me. So we did, yeah, there was a lot going on. We were very lucky before our trip. Uh, Tiggy made a quick run to Best Buy. She got <laughs> us an amazing vlogging camera, which is all new to us. We named her Grazia after the city of Graz. So expect some very fun vlogging content coming soon. Yeah, there was a lot of engagement overall throughout the weekend. Um, Grid Click, kind of to Sarah's point, Grid Click did a group chat to, for women at the race to kind of connect in case they needed anything. That was really nice and wholesome to see. Um, yeah, and we actually managed to interview. We grabbed a few female fan, fans who were kind of strolling around before the race. We grabbed them and got some interview and talked to them a little bit. So we're going to splice in a little bit of that here. And then we'll talk about our amazing experience in the McLaren Garage Tour. And who's your team? What do you want to have happen today? Um, I'm, for, I'm a Ferrari fan, so obviously I'm rooting for Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Um, but unfortunately, Max Verstappen has the space. I think he's going to win. It's pretty obvious, but I still have faith in Ferrari and just so much fun to be here. And it's just very different compared um, watching the, a race um, on the screen. And, and what has it been like as a female fan at this race? It has been really, really good, actually. There has been very, very nice people. Um, a lot of people saying, coming to say hi to Teco and everything. So it has been a very nice experience. I was not expecting it at all. Everybody has been really nice, a very nice sports. And with all my female friends of Formula One, it has been amazing. What has it been like becoming a female fan in the sport? Uh, yeah, at the start, everyone was saying I watched Formula One just because the driver looked good, but... We got that a lot too. Uh, yes, but I think we can be fans all of the sport, or what you want. What's the experience like then as a female fan at this race so far? Uh, this race, it's been great, but uh, when I tell people that I'm an F1 fan, they always say you just like the drivers because they're pretty. But I think every female has to has experience with that. Yes, we definitely get that a lot, <laughs> but we're into it for so many reasons. Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacovas your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacovas. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, 
I think a lot of you who follow us on Instagram saw that we were so stupidly lucky to hang out with McLaren on Saturday between the sprint shootout and the sprint. McLaren is incredible. They've been so nice to us. They really believe in what we're doing and they've been so supportive. So everyone that we talked to um, at the team was just incredible. So the the way that it worked was we basically kind of like waited outside the welcome center. Someone from F1 who's like comms, who's kind of putting on the race and a lot of the comms came and grabbed us. Shout out to Courtney. Thank you for being so amazing. nice. Um, she took us up into the paddock. We go into the paddock and it's basically the paddock had like two lanes almost like the middle lane was all of the buildings that housed all of the car tires, which we'll talk about on the right hand side of that was all of the garages that then open up onto the pit lane. And then on the other side of the tires was all of the really amazing hospitality suites. So we went down to the hospitality suite. We kind of sat, had a glass of water, collected ourselves because obviously we were like freaking out. Um, we had, you could see the pit lane or like the, the paddock walk, you would, what you'd say. We saw like Alonso, we saw France Toast, a bunch of people coming and going. And then we went to see the engineering room and tire, tire room. So who wants to talk about that? Okay. I have to talk about this engineering meeting because this was the highlight, I think, of our entire F1 experience to date. It was so cool. So the drivers were in this engineering room. It was a room full of computers and engineers with tons of screens. They were looking at all sorts of data. And so Lando and Oscar were both sitting in seats and they both were sitting between their race and their performance engineer, um, which is so cool. They've all got headphones on. They're all looking at their own computer screens. They have tons of data up. We were seeing weather radars because it was Saturday and we were trying to figure out what the rain was going to be. We obviously can't talk much about like what's on the screens or the data, but it was just so cool to look in. Um, and I first was able to recognize Lando from his watch because they were sitting with their backs turned to us and they're obviously like all wearing orange, hard to tell who's who. Um, and I was like, I think that's Lando. And I looked at his wrist and I was like, there's the watch. Okay, that's Lando. But it was just so, so cool to see them doing their pre-race analysis meeting and talking about kind of all the lap times and all the data. And Sophie and Lucinda from McLaren are so amazing, so nice, and totally humored us while we, because we obviously could not enter the meeting. So there was kind of a clear glass door, and we were all crouched at the door, <laughs> kind of looking through the openings in it to see. Um, so that was amazing. It was, and then it was, we walked yeah. down. <laughs> we have to talk about the fact that, like, they probably are just ignoring us through this glass window. We're looking in and we're like, look at that. Oh, look at that. And then at one point I was like, oh my God, I really, really hope that this is all soundproof. And they're like, yeah, for the most part, it's soundproof. Like, don't worry. But I had to check multiple times because it was, I felt self-conscious for a little bit. <laughs> and thankfully, I think that the headphones are noise canceling because they are all wearing the headsets because they're also patched into MTC, the McLaren Technology Center back in Woking. And there were kind of screens up of patching back into base, getting data from there. So it was amazing. Then we walked down the stairs from there because that was above the little tire mecca. And we got to see the tires stacked on their rolling cart. So four tires per cart. We got to touch, feel the nice warmth of a tire blanket. I was Which very was excited. nice because it was raining out <laughs> and we forgot jackets. I look like a kid in a candy <laughs> shop, like touching the tire blanket. Um, and then there are little controls on the rolling racks for the tires where they can literally see on a screen the temperature of the tire blankets, the temperature of the tires. And then we walked into the garage. We were absolutely freaking out. We walked in and got to see both cars kind of set up, getting ready for the sprint. Because at this point, we were in between the sprint shootout and the sprint. Thankfully, it was pretty low-key in there because there were no kind of major incidents or anything having gone wrong. So there wasn't a big repair job or anything. But there were probably five mechanics on both sides and other team members running around. They were refueling the cars, tinkering with a few things, looking at data. There was a big countdown to Park Firm on the wall. And we saw one kind of cool fun fact is when they are refueling the cars, they need to wear special fire protectant hazard suits that kind of look like a race suit. So some of the mechanics were in those. And then it's super organized and really kind of clean and crisp in the garage. There's no random tools lying out everywhere. Like everything's put away. And the fuel 
comes out. It essentially looks like it's coming out of the cabinet because the fuel line comes through a hole in one of the side cabinets that stores everything, which is funny. Just kind of goes to show how put together the whole and organized the whole. Here's, here's Andrea Stella's, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really cool. They had pictures up of a lot of McLaren legends. They had uh, Bruce McLaren, obviously. They had Art and Senna and Nicky Lauda. It was very cool to see. Um, but one thing that was really cool as well was actually seeing the cars super up close. So as we talked about, Lando got an upgrade for this uh, this race at Austria. It was supposed to come at Silverstone, but the team apparently just did a super good, fast job, got it done in time for his car. So he had an upgrade for Austria and Oscars will be coming at Silverstone, but you could see the floors looked noticeably different between their cars, which is just so cool to see kind of two car concepts I mean, same car, but like different upgrades on each um, side by side. So that was super interesting. And there was also this like screen tower kind of in the middle that a lot of the engineers sit at during the race. So you obviously have the pit wall, which is across the pit lane that the garage looks out onto. And there are, I think, five or so seats there, obviously for team principal, Zach Brown, if he's there, the, the race engineers, and then all of the other engineers are sitting uh, at the middle kind of table with screens in the garage. And one thing that is super cool that we asked about was like, do Oscar and Lando's engineers have direct contact with each other kind of during the race when they're communicating, but it all goes through kind of one person. So they have to be super focused on their own drivers, but they report into one singular person and it kind of gets fed back to the other driver's engineer, which is kind of a fun cool fact. Yeah, it'll be like the principal or the technical director will kind of get comms from Lando's race engineer. And then if it needs to be relayed to Oscar's race engineer, it'll kind of go through that person. So that's really interesting. The thing before we finish on the garage, I think that was the most uh, kind of like interesting to me was that the the people that were kind of giving us, it was Sophie who was giving us the garage tour. She was so incredibly knowledgeable. She knew the answer to every question that we had. And if she saw like our eyes linger over something she would realize that and be like oh yeah that's what this is like we went out to see what the pit pit stop area looks like and she was pointing everything out and then she even pointed out like I think she could tell that we were looking at all of the the stripes painted on the bottom of the on the floor of the garage which basically like corresponds to where you can and can't be depending on your lanyard and the access that you have so she was like meticulous about teaching us everything which obviously we loved and then after the garage tour, we were there for a long time. We were like asking too many questions, I'm sure. <laughs> they were really humoring us. I wonder all the mechanics were probably just, we were the kind of the only people in the garage at this point who weren't like team members. I wonder if they were just, who are these Americans talking loudly? <laughs> we did ask questions, so at least we have that. I'm proud of us. So then after that, we went back to the hospitality suite. And what we had first time out in the hospitality suite was very business as usual. It was like serious. A lot of the employees were just having lunch on their downtime. Um, and then they took us upstairs where it's kind of more like the VIP hosting where they host some of their sponsors. And then off of that VIP area where there's like a bar and tables and couches, each of the drivers have really good focus rooms, like somewhere to lie down. They have a bathroom and a shower and everything. So Lando and Oscar, we saw them kind of like running back and forth. That's kind of where they do their warm up. They only have 45 minutes to get ready, like in their own zone before they go back down to the madness of the garage. So it was like, we saw Lando in his engineering meeting for like, maybe he was in there for like 10, 15 minutes while we were in the garage. And then he ran back up to hospitality and was doing all of his stuff. Um, they're just on very, very tight schedules. So I, we didn't see much of Piastri, but Lando was just literally running everywhere. Like, I don't think he was like ambling up the stairs and just like getting places. And so that was really cool. They're so scheduled. Yeah, so, so scheduled. And then in the back corner, we, you know, like Zach has his own office. Stella has his own office. Like everyone was there. And then, um, Zach was having some meetings and there was like some official looking people as well, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that was a funny sight to see Zach kind of shaking hands throughout hospitality. We saw some really good people in the paddock. We saw Susie Wolf, which was incredible. Of course, she looked so chic and professional. We saw Alonso. He was the first person we saw, actually, and he was just giving off such good energy and good vibes. He was, like, smiling, super happy, chatting with people. Hands in his pockets, (laughs) just, like, strutting down the paddock lane. Yeah. We saw Franz Toast, the Alphatari team principal. We saw Alex Albon, obviously Lando and Oscar, Zach Brown. So we had some good sightings. It It was super cool. 
And one thing that's so interesting about what Chelsea was saying about the tight schedule, and I had seen this a bit in Miami where you physically see the drivers running everywhere. And obviously there's a ton of people in the paddock, whether it's media, guests, sponsors who are stopping drivers, asking for selfies, even people who they might know or work with wanting to chat. And they're on such tight schedules that um, some of the press people were telling us they have to basically interrupt people kind of saying, no, they have 90 seconds to get to their next location. So I wonder if that's part of why you see drivers in a literal jog all the time, just to signal, like, I do not have time for a stop and chat right now. <laughs> yeah, we were, some of the McLaren people we were with when we saw Lando walking out of hospitality, she, like, looked at her calendar. She's like, okay, good, he's on schedule. <laughs> like, that's so funny. Um, one of the highlights of our weekend, absolutely. So one of the these run-ins with our listeners happened in McLaren hospitality, and then one of them happened out on track. But it was so fun. We were, this was, like, a pinch us moment in in this whole weekend and just whole experience of doing this podcast, we were in McLaren hospitality and someone stands up and is like, for the girls. <laughs> we're like, Oh my gosh. Hi. And it was a lovely listener of ours from Connecticut, Colleen. And so friendly. We had an amazing chat. It was just so cool to run into to someone in that setting. And then we also ran into a, a listener from Mexico. She's from Monterey, Estella. And you heard one of her clips uh, that we played earlier. We interviewed her about being a female fan and all that good stuff. And it was just, it was so cool. It's our favorite, really our favorite part of so much of this. Estella was amazing. And if you're listening now and you've been to a race, you definitely get this feeling. She had the biggest smile on her face when she was telling us it was her first race. And she was saying, when I first heard the cars she said it was just like nothing else, another level of excitement. And I think that's how we all felt when we were at our first race. I'm sure that's how a lot of you listening felt. So it was so amazing kind of connecting about that experience. Yeah, it was just so fun, like connecting with people and meet, seeing everyone's excitement. And obviously with Estelle and Colleen, they knew what we were up to. And so that was really great. And then on Sunday before the race, we were also able to catch up with a few people. So we talked to Bernie Collins, who we had interviewed before, right before she made her debut on Sky Sports. She's been crushing it on Sky Sports. She has just been running around. She was super excited. We saw her for a little bit, um, hearing her experience on the ground, reporting what it's been like for her, like learning all these things that come with, you know, coming from strategy on a team to being a reporter. She was really great. She was wearing her green pants. I think a little homage to Aston Martin. And then we also got to see Elena Rovelli. She um, works for Alfa Romeo and she's so great. We kind of connected with her through the grid click group chat. Um, she's actually from Monza originally. And so she was having a really fun time telling us all the similar similarities and like the landscape between Monza and, and Spielberg. It was really great. Um, one thing that we do want to talk about that she mentioned, which is super poignant, was just the general vibe in the paddock after the spa incident on Saturday. There was a there was a moment of silence for the race on Sunday, but basically for those of you who haven't heard yet, Delano Van Hoff, a Dutch driver, he died on Saturday in the Formula Regional European Championship race. He was on, only 18. It was at Spa, that very dangerous corner of O'Rouge where things have happened in the past before, and it was just really sad. And I think she was able to talk about it from a different perspective that we're not used to with what it's like, you know, in the paddock within a team when something so scary like this happens. And a lot of the drivers were speaking out about it after the race. And I think hopefully things will start to change its spot to make it a safer track. I think Stroll put it so well. It's the same it's the same incident almost as what happened to Antoine Hubert, who's an F2 driver who died in 2019 at Spa. So it's two junior racing fatalities in four years at the same portion of the track. So it's turns two through four. It's the exit of Uros, there's a Radion corner, and then it's going on to the Kemmel Strait. And it's a super, super, super high speed, um, dangerous section. And so if one car, what happened in both of these crashes, fatal crashes, was one car kind of gets into an incident, get, gets caught up in a multi-car collision and gets spit back out onto the track and then gets hit by another car running at full speed who can't see the car in the middle of the track. And this was even worse because the weather conditions were horrible on Saturday at Spa. So with the spray, the drivers quite literally can't see anything, especially not a car 
in their path when they're going at top speed. So I think it's a bit of a debate whether it's spa that needs to change or the plan of action during really low visibility conditions. But clearly something has to change because it's so sad and it's just unacceptable that there's been two junior fatalities at the same track. Totally. And a lot of these people, like motorsport is a small world. Elena was telling us that someone in the Alfa Romeo garage worked with this driver and knows him well and is Dutch. And it's just, I I can't even imagine how much that news rocks the F1 and the motorsport community more broadly when it happens. It really should not be happening. So I totally agree, Sarah, with what you're saying and what Stroll, the way Stroll put it. So it's really, really heartbreaking. Another person we talked to was Luke Smith. So he is a senior writer and F1 writer for The Athletic. Um, He is in media. And so he was telling us kind of the experience of being in the media pen and what that's like during a race weekend and what the schedule is. And he was telling about his deadline for race recaps and how tight of a turnaround it is. You know, he has to kind of turn it in by Sunday night as soon as possible. Um, And I can't imagine how all of the track limits and penalty stuff was affecting that. He had a funny story talking about how he was like trying to get out of the Austrian countryside, but had this deadline and was waiting and like all this stuff had to fly out because the summer swing is starting four races and five weekends. It's just, it seems like a crazy, crazy life, but super, super cool. He is an amazing journalist, so definitely follow him on Twitter. He's great at live commentary. He's on Instagram too. And now that he writes for The Athletic, it's really exciting because that is owned by The New York Times. So a lot of the content will be pushed through kind of the main um, New York Times channels as F1 starts getting more coverage in the U.S. That's really exciting. And one thing we are pumped for is he's working on a book about F1, and that's going to be an amazing read. So it's early stages, but we will keep you all posted on that. Okay. And so the last part that we're going to talk about Austria of our trip was honestly like second to McLaren, of course, like the most exciting part of my weekend. And I have to thank Sarah and Tiggy for setting this up because the amount of joy that these interactions brought me is insane. I had such a good time. So kind of the context here is, as you all know, who um, listen here, kind of we love getting into track history, background, and this is our first time going to a European race, going to kind of a really historical local track as well. So we were so excited going, it's all of our first time in Austria, our first time in Graz, the official host city. And we talked to Max Mazel, who he is the head of comms for the city of Graz. We did a little Zoom call with him right before we left, and he was just the absolute nicest, was so excited to have Americans coming, to have women, female fans coming to Graz. He sent us all this historical info and places to see in Graz. And so some backstory on Graz. It's the host city of the Austrian GP. It's the closest um, city to the track. There's kind of some smaller villages and towns like Spielberg by the track, but Graz is the main city. It's about a 45 minute drive from the Red Bull Ring, and it has just a ton of motorsport history. One really fun fact, which we had absolutely no idea before talking to Max, was we stayed in a hotel, which is one of the three hotels owned by Helmut Marco of Red Bull fame. It was from Graz and We got a signed Red Bull from him upon arrival. They had tons of Red Bull paraphernalia, a front wing outside the front entrance of the hotel. So clearly just such strong um, motorsport history in the city of Graz. Yeah, it was so cool. He is an honorary citizen or honorable citizen of Graz, not honorary because he's from there um, alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who knew? Um, But it was very cool. Yeah, like Sarah saying, Max gave us a ton of local and Austrian history related to motorsport. Um, he was telling us about Johan Rint, who is the most famous Austrian driver. He won the championship in 1970 with Lotus. He very tragically was killed during practice for the Italian Grand Prix that year, and he still won the championship. So he became the only driver to win the championship posthumously, which is pretty crazy. But Graz has a square and a tram shelter dedicated to him. His grave is also in the town. So Max was telling us about a lot of this history. And one thing that I think is really cool about Graz that Max was definitely emphasizing a lot is it's huge on education and bringing students to the city, especially in technical fields. 
So they have a couple of student racing teams with apparently a lot of female team members, which is very cool, but it's a big city for education. And that's something that they're trying to emphasize a lot, kind of alongside motorsport history and just technical fields. So that was very cool. Yeah. And, and two other highlights. <laughs> yes. Two other but, highlights. We, well, we were hanging out with Max, um, kind of in like the fun welcome area. We were having some Rattler and he made an amazing introduction to the governor of Styria who was there. He was kind of like walking around before the race. He's the one that actually did some of the post-race podium ceremony. And then we also got to see the chancellor of Austria come through, which was a huge deal. There was people crowded all over for whatever reason. Like we weren't, we were like really, really close to him. He was there with a 20 person entourage. So it was really cool to just be there for the F1, but also get such a good sense of like the area and the people that, that are from there and what they're all about. So we loved that. Um, would 10 out of 10 recommend meeting Max if you guys go to Austria. It's very, very fun if you go next year. <laughs> And staying in Graz, it was amazing. The food was so good. good it was vibe. just beautiful. We could not like recommend a better place yes. to stay. And, and at some point, we're going to start to do like we'll we'll do a very very detailed recap of our race, like logistics wise, in case anyone is interested in doing this next year. We've got you covered. So let's let's yeah, all the nitty gritty, including parking, because our friend Grant had to drive like a Formula One champion to get us out of the yes, parking lot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was. A crazy, crazy experience. <laughs> so to wrap up, we have to start with our radio of the week, of course. Uh, <laughs> we couldn't choose anything other than, Lewis, the car is bad. We know. Please drive it from none other than our Austrian king, Toto Wolf, who there was a lot of frustration in Mercedes at Mercedes yesterday, and the track limits were really not doing it for them. And the car was just not great. Mercedes has struggled, obviously, with consistency. So that was a bummer to see. But the, the radio was pretty iconic. Toto rarely comes on the radio <laughs> during a race. <laughs> so for the standings for the drivers and the constructors, we'll do the top 10 drivers. So we have Max with 229, Checo in second with 148, Alonso 131, Lewis 106, Carlos in fifth with 82, Charles in sixth with 72, tied with George Russell, um, also at 72. Then we have Lance Stroll at 44, Akon at 31, and then Lando with 24 coming on up. And Constructors, this is crazy to even say, Red Bull 377, Mercedes second with 178, close behind is Aston Martin at 175. Then we have Ferrari 154, Alpine 47, McLaren 29, Haas 11, Alfa Romeo 9, William 7, and Alfa Tauri with 2. Okay, to get into a quick little British Grand Prix preview coming up this weekend. So Silverstone, it's definitely one of the most iconic and historic tracks on the calendar. It's a huge race for Mercedes, having two British drivers. Also Lando's home race. And as we know, many, many teams are based in the UK. So there is a lot of home pride here. Teams are coming obviously right off Austria, which is not too far away. Plus many teams have home factories in the UK, like we mentioned. So it's a little bit of an easier race logistically. And the summer swing is full on right now with four races in July. A couple quick things about the race. So they've expanded to more viewing areas. They're expecting up to 480,000 people wow. this weekend, which would make it the best attended Formula One event in history behind the 1995 Australian Grand Prix. So that's insane. That's crazy. Silverstone is a classic track for a reason. It's one of the fastest tracks on the schedule. Lewis compared a flat-out lap on this track to flying a fighter jet, which is probably pretty accurate. It's tied with Monza for the highest top speed at 225 miles an hour. And so track changes over the years have been designed to reduce speed, which is very interesting. It's 52 laps and 5.9 kilometers, so it's on the longer side. There's two DRS zones, and the lap, rac lap record is, of course, held by Max Verstappen from 2020. So the track, a little bit of history that we like to do, it was built in 1942 as a perimeter road to the World War II Royal Air Force Station, which is super cool. Again, it's a super historic circuit. It made its debut shortly thereafter in 1950. It's the only GP to have never missed a year on the F1 calendar aside from the Italian GP. So quite a lot of heritage there. For last year's race, it was a really big weekend last year. It kicked off with very tricky, rainy conditions in Quali, lots of spin-outs, Carlos getting his first ever pole position. And then this was the race where 
the start was extremely chaotic, extremely scary. Joe had that horrific crash right off the start of the race where he slid upside down, flew up into the air over the barriers. Thankfully for this year, the track has been modified. Um, The runoff area in turn one has changed a bit for safety. And then at the end of the race, how it ended last year, there was a full restart, incredible wheel-to-wheel racing. Hamilton called it um, F1 at its best. Um, There was a bunch of team orders happening. And in the end, only 14 cars finished the race. We had Carlos winning and then Checo P2 and Hamilton P3. Gosh, what I would give to have a podium like that this year. (laughs) That would be so fun. So a couple of things to look out for. Pirelli will be introducing new reinforced tires that can handle higher loads and degrade less. So that's going to be interesting. The goal is to use those the rest of the season and beyond. So we'll see about that. And a couple team highlights. So Red Bull, they haven't won at Silverstone since Mark Webber in 2012. So the team will be looking to clock their ninth win in a row. They have won every race this season, as we know. But excited to see if any other teams can bring a challenge this weekend. For Aston Martin, they're definitely ready to come in hot for Silverstone, especially now that Mercedes has taken P2 and Constructors with their string of recent upgrades. Aston Martin plans to bring upgrades this weekend uh, where they think they will shine on the circuits with high-speed corners. So look out for them. And I'm especially interested in the kind of Stroll-Alonso dynamic as we continue (laughs) this season. Definitely. And for Ferrari, it was A good weekend in terms of pace for Ferrari. We really saw them closing the straight line speed to Red Bull. Both drivers, especially Carlos, looked in top form. So we're really excited to see what they can bring for Silverstone. For Mercedes, Toto is feeling optimistic. There's huge upgrades coming. Toto said that the team's learnings have accelerated a lot and that we should expect significant progress over the next few races. And I feel like Toto is usually pretty cabined in trying to not overpromise. So I feel like that's a pretty big statement. We'll see. And for McLaren, Piastri is getting the new upgrade that Lando got in Austria with that new floor, especially if Lando's performance is any indicator. We're so excited. Definitely expecting big things. Okay, let's do our hot takes for Silverstone. Tiggy, you go first. All right, this is hot. This is really hot, but I'm feeling confident. Ooh, I'm ready. <laughs> After their performance in Austria, I'm going to say a Ferrari double podium. Like, I really should just say Ferrari one person on podium, but I'm going to say Ferrari double podium. All right, good luck. And with that I'm one. just going to throw, thank you, Jessa. I'm just going to throw uh, all Brits in the top seven. So, George, Hamilton, and Lando. I like that energy. For me, I'm a little different. I'm going to have an Aston Martin and a Mercedes on podium, Alonso and Lewis. And you know what? Tiki, you inspired me with the hotness of your take. I'm going to say Aston Martin one, Mercedes two, and a Ferrari three. Red Bull nowhere to be found. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that one too, right? Good luck with that, Chessa. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I'm going to go with McLaren up there with upgrades on both cars. I think Lando was phenomenal this weekend. I'm really excited to see what they can do with both cars in new shape. Woohoo. All right. We will chat to you. Uh, we have our next For the World Sustainability episode coming out later this week. So stay tuned for that. And then we will chat to you again uh, after Silverstone. Super excited. Super excited.